edition of the Survival Podcast. There's always one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't, today is Wednesday, May the 10th, 2023, episode 3298 of the Survival Podcast. Today's episode is going to be about setting up a homestead nursery. We're going to talk about the how, the what, the why, and the what not to do with Nick Ferguson. He'll even tell you his own greatest failure and loss in doing things the wrong way, because that's a good way to learn how to do things the right way, learn from somebody else's mistakes. Nick's a great dude, member of the Expert Council, and really a great dude when it comes to telling you about all things plants. There's people that make a joke that they want an app called Pocket Nick to tell them what's wrong with their plant or what kind of plant they're looking at. When you hear him talk today, you'll understand why people say that if you've never met him before. Anyway, before we get into that, let's go ahead and hear from our two sponsors of the day. Sponsor of the day number one today is John Pugliano with the Wellsteading Podcast. I often say when it comes to plant propagation, our topic of the day today, it's like printing money. Like when you can make plants, you're basically making money, either money you don't have to spend or something you can sell for money. And we'll talk about that a lot today. John Pugliano's philosophy of growing your wealth is a lot like growing a garden or propagating plants. In fact, I, I have given him the strap line, grow your wealth like growing a garden at the Wealth Steading Podcast. John is not just a great investment uh, manager and a great money manager. He's also one of us. He is a true prepper. He's a gardener. He is a ham radio operator. Uh, he stores his, he eats what he stores and stores what he eats. He's right out of our community. And if you want to know how to grow your wealth, you want to tune in to the Wealthsteading Podcast. You can find out more at Wealthsteading.com. Sponsor today, number two today. I'm bringing back around again twice this week because time is running out. The Exit and Build 3 uh, seminar in Bastrop, Texas will run, well, it depends on what you want. There's, on both sides of it, there's some farm tours and stuff like that, but the stuff at the convention center where everybody's speaking is going to be Friday, Saturday, and Sunday next weekend, not the one coming the weekend after, so you still have some time. There's a few VIP tickets left. It's totally worth getting one. You get to come to the VIP dinner and hang out with myself and the other great speakers, Nicole Sauce, Michael Reynolds, a bunch of other really cool folks, John himself, etc. Uh, you also get access to the green room where all the speakers are, where you can talk to us without 5,000 other people around. It's really more like 500. That's a bit of exaggeration. But it's a great event. John Bush doesn't do anything halfway. He does everything all the way right every time. Uh, I, this will be the fourth live event that I've spoken at that John's put on. And uh, because they're so close, it makes it easy for me to get down there. So I'll do almost any any single one of them he asked me to do uh, if I can find any way to do it. It's a great way to meet you folks. And it's a great way for you guys to meet other people. So please consider coming to Exit and Build 3 in Bastrop. There's a link in the show notes today. There's a link in the Daily Mail, etc., if you're going to go, please use my link. I get a little bit of a kickback if you use my link when you sign up for your tickets. With that, let's dive on into it with Nick Ferguson. And we are live. Welcome, folks, to episode uh, 3298 of the Survival Podcast. Longtime friend of the show, longtime personal friend, and expert council member Nick Ferguson. All things plants, permaculture, and more is with us today. Nick, welcome back to the Survival Podcast. Always a pleasure, Jack. 
Nick, for people that maybe are tuning in for the first time today, or maybe they've only started listening very recently and they may not know who the heck or what the heck a Nick Ferguson is, give us your uh, little background. Who, who are you and what do you do? Yeah, so um, the the short explanation that I normally give people that aren't familiar with the, the permaculture word is that I'm an ecosystem engineer. Um, I design ecosystems to meet the needs of the client. Um, I use all kinds of regenerative agriculture uh, training and systems and design science, including permaculture. Um, uh, I mean, everything under the sun that that you've heard of that's touching on that stuff um, that I, I use all of those in my my toolbox, so to speak, to get my client to a place where they can meet their needs on their land. Uh, I, I travel all over the U.S., outside the U.S. doing this. Um, I also have a small nursery that is doing very well. Um, we've been selling out for, gosh, I think it's four or five years running. We sold out every year. Um, and, uh, and yeah, I get to travel all over the U.S. and help people troubleshoot their properties, figure out how to do things smarter, how to set things up um, intelligently from the get-go. Man, with, the, with all the, um, the fun stuff over the last couple years, We've had a lot of people um, taking your advice, Jack, and mm. getting the hell out of cities and moving out to the country. And, man, there's a lot of these people that are saying, man, this is – I knew this was going to be an adventure, but this is uh, a little bit more overwhelming than I than I thought it was going to be. And, you know, when they crunch the numbers, it makes a whole lot of sense to pay me to come out and help them avoid thousands and thousands of dollars in errors – by just coming out, spending a day with them, showing them where to put things, how to set things up smart. Um, so, yeah, it's a it's a fun job. I get to do it uh, all over the U.S. So I see tons of different landscapes, tons of different places. So uh, and I get to help people. Yeah. Yeah. And I you know, I always tell people I don't consult. I don't like to consult. I hate consulting and I don't want to leave. Um, and so I always prefer my consulting inquiries to you. And yep. I also always say, whatever he wants, pay him because he's going to save you more than you spent. Because it takes digging one giant hole with an excavator in the wrong place one time. And then you have a massive type one error. And that is the type of error where you, from the day you do it and realize what you've done for the rest of your life, you wish you didn't do it. And, yep. Uh, Many times they are irreversible or the cost of reversing them is such that you, you get into the sunken cost fallacy and yep. you, you feel you can't afford to reverse it. That's that's exactly it. I've I can't tell you how many <laughs> how Don't many do that. <laughs> yep. How many consults I've been to just in the past year. There's uh -huh. been three or four where someone has put in a pond and they had all of that soil. Um excavated from that pond and moved up on a hillside and they yeah. built an orchard out of subsoil and all they had to do was just build a Hot. bigger <laughs> pond and and then just bring in a little bit of mulch and have a fantastic orchard site yeah, yeah. yeah tens of thousands of dollars wasted um that i could have 
I could have saved him with, you know, five minutes of advice. It's one of those things where the person says, well, I have this idea and you sit there and you listen and you make sure you listen all the way. That's even right. You already know what they're going to say, but that way they mm-hmm. felt, feel heard. He said, it's a fine idea. Don't do that. <laughs> yep. Yep. Do and, that. and that happens too. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's how you have to handle it. I, I, I'm not as patient as you. That's another reason I don't like consulting. <laughs> I don't like to be paid for advice and have it not followed. And I don't like to listen to people talk after I already know that it's a bad idea and that does not make a good consultant. Um, we're here to talk about something people should do today, though, and that's start a homestead scale nursery. And I'm with you. I believe that whether you have like a half acre little, you know, urban suburban homestead or you have a multi acre larger concern, if you really plan on planting it out, plant propagation and some sort of backyard nursery should be part of what you do. Can you talk about why that is true? Yeah. So, I mean, anybody getting into homesteading, you're going to want this plant. You're going to want this other plant. You're going to want this apple tree. You're going to want this pear tree. And it's not going to be too long before you're saying, I want all of the things. I want this thing, and I want this thing, and I want this thing. I want all of them. And, uh, dude, have you looked at prices recently, Jack? I have a little bit here and there, and it was, I was floored because it was always expensive. And now I'm like, what? Like, I, I was. What at, is uh, going on? Oh, it's insane! And it's not just the perennials and stuff that we're mainly talking about. Even just like common annuals, I was at Lowe's about three weeks ago because I needed some shit. I'm like, well, I'll, I have all my plants started and all myself this year, so I don't need anything. But I'm like, I'll walk through the plants just to see what they have. Six dollars a plant for started plants, and some of them are like. The stupid plants that you would never start yourself in a pot anyway, like corn. Like it's like two <laughs> pieces of corn, $5.99, $5.99 for a tomato, $5.99 yeah. for a pepper. And I'm like, I, I don't even know if I want to look at things like a Gumi or something. And I went to Range Street and pulled it out. Like, oh, look, uh, what was it? Uh, Sanford and Son? I'm coming at the love coming or whatever her name was. Right? <laughs> right? Like I heart just, attack level pricing. I know. I know. So I just I just looked up before I got on the show today. I looked up at Stark Brothers. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh my gosh, this is just. I'm insane. not a back on keto, bro, because my heart can't handle this. <laughs> a okay, so this is a standard tree, standard yeah. rootstock. Granny Smith. Okay. Granny Smith. Been with us 120 years. Okay. Ninety eight dollars. What? It's on sale right now. It's on oh, sale for uh, seventy three for a Granny Smith apple tree. For probably a, a one Smith and a half year old bare root. Bare root. It's a bare root. And the reason they're selling it cheap right now is it's a bit late in the year to be buying it's, bare root trees in most of the country. Uh, that tree's probably not very happy. The semi dwarf yeah. regular price is fifty eight bucks. It's on sale for forty six. Dude, I remember when these were like twelve dollars. Twelve to twenty eighteen dollars. Yeah. yeah. Twelve, 12 to, to twenty 18. bucks common. Well, I moved here, trees were twelve to twenty bucks a tree. Exactly. Yeah. So to me, this is a double uh thing here with this price increase. So one, you can't afford to buy a hundred trees at that price and ever get a return of your investment. You're, you you can't no. go out and buy ten thousand dollars worth of apple trees. <clears throat> knowing half of them are probably going to die or not produce and then expect mm-hmm. you're going to get 
you know, $10,000 worth of apples in any reasonable ROI. The other side, though, is the opportunity to earn money because it's much easier to sell somebody an apple tree or a gummy bush mm-hmm. or a goji berry when they've tripped three or four X the price. And you can still make a comfortable profit selling at about 75% of what they were selling for 10 years ago. That's because right. you want to sell a lot. You want to propagate plants for other people. Like, and, and that way you can use that money to pay for a lot of what you need, whether it's an ongoing thing or just, I would like to fully cover the cost of my initial install and all my nursery shit. Right. You could do that exactly. on next door, Craigslist, whatever. You know, if you want to do it full tilt, get a nursery license, you can. But like, I see people selling plants all the freaking time. They don't have licenses. No one gives a shit. Nobody bothers them. So, I mean, I sell freaking sweet potato slips for a bundle of 10 for 10 bucks. And I give people two extra ones. And I do that just to cover seeds and inputs mm-hmm. for the beginning of the year. So, now that we have people paying $6 for a tomato plant, they're pretty happy to pay two. Right? That's right. Well, it used to be $2 for a six pack. $1.99 for a six-pack of peppers or tomatoes, right? And then you get into perennials, like you're saying. Like, if you learn how to either root or graft or, or whatever, graft. you're talking like 20, 20, 30 bucks a tree is not, is cheap. It's easy. It's so easy to get rid of trees 20 like bucks that. Is 200 bucks. And if you can't sell them, you need to read a book on selling. That's right. <laughs> Maybe two. I don't know. Yep. Like, not a hard sell right now. Yeah. So, I mean, the the, the big thing is, Man, it's it's just expensive to plant out even a small homestead scale nursery, uh, yeah. no, uh, orchard. Yeah, I got you. Um, planting out something that small, I mean, 20, 30 you know, trees and bushes. Twenty, thirty trees. Thousands of dollars. That's thousands of dollars now. Yeah. Um. So, you know, I'm I'm looking at that. Um. So if you're able to learn the skill of how to take cuttings or how to pick up some rootstock. It's the rootstock is still fairly cheap and mm-hmm. then do some of your own grafting. It takes a little bit more time, but I mean, if, if you go and you get some, some pear rootstock or, I mean, I can teach you how to find free pear seed, get that started, grow your own rootstock, and then you can turn those into twenty thirty dollar pear trees all day long, and all you have to do is just find someone with a uh, with a pear tree. Yeah, that's producing good pears. Yeah. Um. Uh. I was just at the feed store last year. Um. This older guy um, came up to me. We were talking about blueberry bushes, and he said, "Hey, you know about this stuff?" And I said, "A little bit." And he said, "Well, I want to show you my blueberry bushes." He his parents died and and so he has this house with blueberry bushes out in the front of it and it's just sitting there vacant and he wanted them pruned so i Mm. said i'll make you a deal i'll prune your blueberry bushes this winter if you let me come back in june and tip them all back he's like well i gotta pay you and and i said no 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 you don't understand You got like a, a dozen blueberry bushes that'll push a whole lot of new growth. Mm-hmm. If you just let me come and tip them all back and I'll, I'll make sure it looks nice and neat and, and pretty. Um, I'll just take those cuttings home and, and root them. I'm probably going to end up with one to 200, maybe three or 400 blueberry bushes out of that job. 
and it's just going to take me an afternoon. Yeah. And and blueberry bushes nowadays, even one year old rooted plants are at least twelve dollars, if not twenty twenty five. So I mean, yeah. a couple hundred of those at twenty dollars a piece, and they root in just a couple days, uh, a, cu- a couple months. At twenty five, thirty two bucks. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. Now, that's just my initial search, but yeah, I've got a blueberry plant, emerald, twenty five ninety nine. Mm-hmm. Two pink lemonade blueberry plants. So you get two of them, sixteen bucks a piece, thirty two bucks. Yep. And a jewel blueberry plant is mm-hmm. twenty nine ninety nine. So that's how much your blueberries are selling for now. And that's. Uh, I also wanted to bring this up. Uh, Aaron Sweet says I ordered trees from Fast Growing Trees. It was crazy expensive, but I needed them at a specific time. They were all two to four years old. Nineteen trees, two thousand. Dollars, Nick. This is I'm back to Sanford and Son because I paid three hundred dollars for my first car. Now yep. it was a seventy five grand pre, and I did buy it in nineteen eighty six. Right, that's mm-hmm. only an eleven year old car. I paid three hundred dollars for it. I bought it with salvaged copper. Right, and this person just spent two thousand dollars for nineteen trees, and I'm not picking on Aaron. I needed mm-hmm. the trees at a specific time for a specific reason. I get absorbing the cost, but It'd be nice not to have to do that again. It sure would. <laughs> so let's talk about with setting mm-hmm. up your own nursery. Mm-hmm. What are your biggest considerations that you, because this is going to be different for, let's say, Aaron and Green Country Agroforestry, assuming they live in totally different places, because there are some things that factor in on that. Exactly. Um, so, yeah, this is this is one of the things that um, for somebody new to homesteading, that's a common common question that I get when doing consulting work is, you know, what can I plant? So, yeah. you know, if if you're so, for instance, here in Louisiana, I live in Louisiana. Um, I'm not going to be growing northern uh, blueberries. Mm-hmm. I can't. They just don't grow here. Um, yeah. I'm not going to be growing apples here to propagate because they just fire blight and the heat. They just can't handle it. Um, so check equals true. I can yeah. testify to it, right? This is yeah, not yeah. apple we, country. <laughs> yeah, it's it's not apple country. Yeah. Um, so what I need to do is is look at what grows well in my region. And if you're if you're a small scale backyard homestead scale nursery, um, pretty much all of your sales are going to be local regional anyways. So you need to be growing the stuff and propagating the stuff that grows well in your area. And that's, that's actually a major, major selling point mm-hmm. is if you can prove to your customer, Hey, this grows great here because I grow it in my yard and I propagate these in my backyard and then I pot them up. And they're here for you. So so you can testify 100% that these grow well and, yep. and and can handle the diseases. So, you know, some of those things are um, make sure that the stuff that you're growing to propagate and sell is appropriate for your region. You know, if, mm. you know, Jack, you were uh, really big into figs for a while and a lot of people got really excited about figs. Guess what? If you're in North Dakota... You shouldn't be Nothing. propagating figs to sell. No. Because nobody's going to be happy after they buy them and they die. 
and yeah. you're going to have to go through an extreme amount of expense to keep them alive up there. So, but where they make perfect out, sense here. They make perfect right, sense exactly. here. Exactly. Right? So each thing should be like when I think about here, like if I could go back ten years and I was going to pick a pioneer species of tree to go as a support mm-hmm. species into this system, and they just weren't showing up yet, it would be hackberry. You've been here. I've yep. got hackberries that are forty foot tall that are three-year-old volunteer trees that are coming up wherever the uh, oaks are dying from the legacy oak will. Unfortunately, I didn't see that. But hackberry, a lot of people, because of the name or whatever, they don't. it's a beautiful tree. It's actually it an is. extensive tree, right? Mm-hmm. It's a fodder tree. It's, mm-hmm. it's a tree you can coppice, and it'll keep coming back like crazy. So it's a biomass accumulator. It's good wood, right? And it's a great support species. But so that doesn't mean that everybody should grow hackberry, though. That's right. But if you have hackberry, you know, popping up, another tree I would grow here if I was doing this for money is redbud because it grows freaking everywhere. And it's not necessarily mm-hmm. considered that high value of a tree by a lot of people, but it's a beautiful tree. It fixes nitrogen. Um, mm-hmm. It has wonderful flowers early in the year. And when, you, when the guy says, well, how do you know it grows well, uh, well here? We'll drive around in the spring. And look at all the woods on the side mm-hmm. of the road where all the bees are going crazy. There's your red buds sitting there. Mimosa would be another tree. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know the proper name for it. You do. but that And that would do a, outstandingly well where you're at. So yep. you want to pick what grows well is what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, another big thing that I that I'll run into, uh, I've, I've done the same thing myself. I've made the mistake. Um is is starting this this project, you know, trying to pr- propagate these plants or set up a little um, nursery too far away from your house. Mm. Set it up as close to your zone one, zone zero as you possibly can. So zone one, zone zero, you know, z- you're in permaculture, your zone zero for any of the newer listeners is your house. Zone one is the places that you're walking or you're touching every single day. So if if at all possible, dude, set up your your little nursery, get the thing started like in a front uh or or uh a flower bed right by your back door or your front door, whichever one you're going through all the time. Set it up in a place where you're going to see it every single day. And 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 touch it every single day because the vast majority of people that say I have a black thumb, they don't have a black thumb. They're just too busy to pay attention to stuff mm-hmm. and just setting things up intelligently so that you're being forced to look at it every day means, oh, those are looking a little rough. And the next day, oh, they're, they're looking a little bit rougher. Maybe it's in your wrong. face. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, something's wrong. You something's know you wrong. have to deal with it. Yeah, I just um, had a timer go out at one of my ebb and flow beds. I had like four beautiful celery plants in it. Mm-hmm. And it was it happened while I was gone. And, and, and Michael, who was watching the place, I guess didn't notice it. And, you know, I got back and they looked a little sick. And I'm like, what's up? And the next day they're just dead. And it was just because that wasn't the, the timer was there. It was set, but it wasn't cycling. Right. So yep. had I been here, I would have noticed it before it had gone past that. And that's yeah, your your nursery belongs in zone one or you need to fabricate a zone one. So like that's if you right. have a great space yep. and it's not really house adjacent, then mm-hmm. you need a routine that requires that you go look at it in some way. You need to extend a peninsula zone one and so, 
put something out there that if you don't do it, you'll starve to death or something. And then you'll go there and look at it. Right. 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 Yeah. I mean, it could be something as simple as, um, you know, if you have a, a morning routine where you go and you drink a cup of coffee and you read the newspaper or whatever it is, mm-hmm. um, you sit down and, and you read a daily devotional or you scroll the news on your phone. Pick somewhere that, you know, it'll be nice to sit out there and just put a chair out there and then go out there, drink your morning coffee, scroll through the news or whatever, read your book and enjoy that time. And that way you're kind of forcing yourself to get out there and look at it every every day. Yeah, yeah. What's your biggest screw-up, your biggest failure? Yeah, so uh, kind of on this, on this, you know, uh, put it uh, close to the house. I had a seedling nursery. I was trialing a whole bunch of seedlings. Um, and I probably had... Uh, I don't know. Conservatively, I had at least a hundred thousand seedlings, um, and this was this was years ago. Okay. And uh, and you know, I do a lot of consulting, so I have a lot of potential customers that want to plant the things that I'm growing. Um, so I mean, a hundred thousand trees. I probably could not have sold a hundred thousand in one year. Uh huh. But you know, a lot of those will live several years in the ground or in pots and just wait for an opportunity to be sold. Um, well, I had manual irrigation set up. I had these little timers where you just spin the dial and it'll yep. come on for 30 minutes. And it was just part of my routine. I'd go out. I'd uh, take the scraps out to the chickens. I'd collect some eggs. I'd look at the garden. I'd check on the plants. You know, I'd hit I hit my seedling nursery real quick, check on everything, make sure everything's good. If it needed water, I'd just spin the little dial and do the other stuff. By the time I was done with all the other stuff, it was done so I could physically see that, hey, everything got watered. The pattern is still good. I don't have a clogged yeah. uh, sprinkler head or anything. You know, I can observe it and just double check on everything. Um, well, I don't know what bug it was because this was before the uh, – um, the the Fauciitis. Okay. Um, and uh, <laughs> uh, some some nasty bug just took me out. I was like, I couldn't even think, Jack. I yeah. I could not function. Okay. Um, and my wife is saying, okay, so what all do I need to do? All right, well, check on this, and you need to do this, and and then completely fell out of my head that yeah hey you idiot you got six figures worth of trees out there that just need a little bit of water and they'll be fine yeah. for a couple of weeks without any special attention forgot to tell her go out there turn that one little knob because it was semi-automatic it was fully semi-automatic. semi-automated right like fully semi-automated it, it stops itself but you gotta start it manually yep. that's what i have in my garden right now you know yep. They're great. I, I would add recommending that if you are ever going to have anybody watch over something, and you probably will, I would do little bitty walkthrough videos, throw it mm-hmm. on your YouTube channel. Even if you're not a creator, I don't care. It can all be private. Create a mm-hmm. playlist, how to take care of my shit, right? And then say, here, like, this is how you do everything. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, like, I'm lucky. I have a, a farm sitter 
who's as good as it gets. He's been here as we built everything, and he still misses stuff. Not a lot, but little things. You're like, oh, that's the thing, you know. And yep. so I, I still little need to do that myself is document the maintenance and care of everything, and maybe make a little binder and a soft document or something because you you were in a perfect example of what we trained in the military for was that you would revert under stress to your lowest level of confidence. People think yep. that you rise to your highest level of confidence, no under stress and being Dude. sick as shit. Like when you feel like the dog is more comfortable than you while the dog's throwing up, then yep. you are under stress and you will forget things that you would never forget when you're on your game. And then you're relying mm -hmm. on a person who heard your incoherent, sick rambling, right? That's right. You're on a cell phone and you can't get home and you're trying to explain it. It's much easier. I'm going to send you a link of yep. how to clear out the pumps, right? I'm going to send you a link of how to take care of the misting system. I'm going to send you a link <clears throat> of what needs to be done in the, it, that's so much easier. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, so automation, 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 and documentation, <laughs> Automation and documentation uh, with with technology these days, everybody, just about everybody has one of these. Yeah, yeah. You yeah, can remember QR when you're walking codes. when you're walking somebody through something and you're away, FaceTime and turn the camera around because this yep. doesn't work when they try to turn the phone around. No, just mm -hmm. hit the little rotate. Show me what you're looking at, and I'll tell you what to do. Um, can you touch on methods of propagation? There's a lot of ways to take one plant and make lots of plant out of it and kind of what the skill set level is as you go up with an understanding that there are exceptions to the rule. Um, certain things maybe actually are really easy to propagate no matter what you do. But mm -hmm. in general, there's kind of like a hierarchy of the, the amount of effort you need to extend to use different methods of propagation. Right, right. Um, so... One of the most popular methods that everyone hears about, it's the, it's the sexiest, it's the coolest, it's, it is one of the most productive methods, and that is softwood propagation, and you do that under mist. The problem with that is it's one of the most complicated and the most technical, and you have to get everything just right. And there's a lot that can go wrong with it. So if you don't know what you're doing, there's a lot higher chance that you're going to fail at it. So I say start with the very simplest, easiest stuff first. And the simplest one, in my opinion, is division. It, it's it's super simple. You got a hosta in your flower bed. It's an ornamental and it's just sitting there and it just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Just learn how to divide it. That's as simple as in the fall. You take a, a shovel and you chop the sucker right in half, maybe split it into four pieces, separate them, and then plant the four new pieces out. You can do the same thing with Shasta daisies. Um, comfrey. Comfrey is super simple to propagate through division. You just dig the plant up, chop the roots up into little pieces, and scatter them and cover them with some dirt or some mulch, and you got a whole bunch of new comfrey plants. Uh, so division is probably the easiest. Um, I'd probably say hardwoods are are next easiest because there's a lot of things that if you just take cuttings in the fall, late fall, early winter, after everything's gone dormant, and you cut off new wood that grew that previous year, and you just stick it in potting soil, 
potting mix or stick it right in the ground. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of things that hardwood cuttings are fantastic for. Um, and then probably next is, um, is seeds. So, I mean, tons of people will get started with gardening and then they'll start their own seeds. Tomato seeds, pepper seeds, really easy. Just as long as you keep them warm um, and kind of just know the germination parameters for mm-hmm. whatever you're, you're trying to grow. Um, so seeds is, is fairly simple, but it's starting to get a little bit more complicated. And then we get to the softwood propagation. Mm. Um, and that's normally done in the summer. And then you've got to have um, at least humidity. So um, you can get get away with softwood propagation with just kind of a humidity dome and keep it in some dappled light, almost full shade. Um, there's a lot of things that you can uh, get away with, just like a, uh, a white or opaque trash bag mm-hmm. over a five-gallon bucket. You've got some potting mix in it and some holes drilled in the bottom of it, and you stick your cuttings in there, and you can get some softwood propagation done like that. But what I like is... Um, because you have increased airflow and the mist is knocking off fungal spores, you have less disease issues. Um, I like to use intermittent mist systems and, um, you know, I'm putting one in a brand new system that, uh, I'm, I'm implementing a whole bunch of the little tips and tricks and changes uh, to all the frustrating things of the typical in-ground mist bed that everybody builds. Yeah, I've got a, I've got some, uh, um, some workarounds to a, a lot of those issues that, uh, that I'll be putting out in my my course in the future. Cool, cool. And I would say there are always exceptions. So yep. on the softwood thing, like it's finicky, and there's a lot of things that can go wrong. But there's certain plants that I grow here that are super stupid easy. They're like exactly. they're like as easy as propagating like wandering Jew or something, where you just mm-hmm. cut it and stick it in. Goji. If you can't yep. if you can't get goji to root from a softwood, you I don't know you you put oil in your in your potting soil or something. I don't know what you've done. And then mulberry is really a pain in the ass. A lot of the mulberries with softwoods, but like the the dwarf mulberry, the mulba. Mm-hmm is mobile alba is or whatever that yep. stuff that is, is nice. like it's like rooting weeds it's just stupid easy so don't be afraid to try it yeah. but a lot of the stuff nick's right like you're not going to get good rooting results without really focusing on that humidity issue but i i, I think it was you i saw take like basically like a tub and put a bunch of softwoods in it and throw a plastic bag over it mm-hmm. and, and wet it down really good and like throw it in the woods Yep. And, and went back and like half of them were rooted. And, you know, mm-hmm. you're talking about plants again that are $15, $20 a piece. So if you can do it, that might as well give it a shot. Might as well give it a shot. But I agree with the overall assessment of that hierarchy. Definitely. Um, what do you do for disease and insects? I think a lot of people that maybe have never propagated plants think like this isn't an issue when you have it in your nursery or whatever, because when you go to the store and you buy a plant, it usually doesn't have diseases and insects, and that's because they've sprayed the shit out of it. And mm-hmm. because the ones that look like crap, they don't sell, you know, until the well, the end of the season when, like, the guy at Home Depot doesn't water it and can't figure out why it dies. But in general, when you buy plants in a nursery, they look all nice and healthy. But insects, diseases, et cetera, they don't care where your plants grow. So what are some ways that we can control that? 
Yeah. Um, so, you know me, uh, I like the more natural organic approach. Um, so if at all possible, I'm going to do something that's efficacious and relatively non-toxic. So, um, kind of my, my go-tos are going to be a neem cake tea. Um, it's like the, the plant matter, um, that they press the oil out of and it leaves a cake behind. And, okay. and if you basically make a tea out of that, it's fantastic for doing, um, soaks. So if you have a whole bunch of, uh, fungal gnat issues, for instance, um, neem cake tea is fantastic for that. Um, just pretty much knocks them out. Neem oil. Um, I use a sulfur spray and, Man, one of the most go-to is insecticidal soap, and it's it's just as simple as um, some liquid Castile soap mixed with water. And dang, I mean, I I use that on squash bugs. A little bit of neem oil, a little bit of sulfur spray, insecticidal soap, all mixed together. Yeah, deals with squash bugs and powdery mildew all in one go. Um, but other than that, just the main thing is, um, having some good, healthy soil will help those plants fight off the majority of the diseases. So I, you know, just like with health, um, I, I try to not just throw pharmaceuticals at it. I try to make sure I've got a good, healthy base yeah. that deals with most everything before it becomes a problem. Um, well, so I'm yeah, that, go ahead. I was just going to say that's that's been my 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 focus um and and that's what I encourage people to do is just you know focus on the health of the plant first and then use non-toxic relatively non-invasive stuff and then man don't let perfect be the enemy of good if you need to <laughs> yeah use use the poison stuff but try and use it sparingly yeah and and then fall back to the natural stuff and keep in mind, like when you're talking about saving thousands or tens of thousands of dollars worth of trees that you're not going to harvest any food off of for mm -hmm. like five years. Mm -hmm. If you have to hit them with an insecticide because they're just being ravaged by yep. the time you get food off that tree, you're not going to have to worry about the fact that you've done that. I think like when people talk to me about like organic seed, I'm like, I don't care. I just don't care. I, I don't care about what happens after the plant germinates. You know, that plant, that little seed is not going to hold like 400 gallons of glyphosate or something like that inside yep. of it that I'm going to be afraid of. And, you know, I asked you about your biggest failure. I remember uh, Stephen Sobakayak, he talked about his biggest failure. He didn't want to use any toxins. He mm -hmm. had a couple hundred thousand dollars worth of propagation going on. He had everything tart for their winter up there in Canada. And mice ate ever like, mm. oh, it's warm. It's dry. It's nice under here. And, oh, look at the food. So they ate, like, all the roots mm. off the trees. And he's like, you know what I use now? I use I use mouse poison. Do you know why? Because it makes mouses dead, and they don't eat $100,000 worth of trees. So he uses the same little uh, – the mouse access poison boxes yep, yep. like I use when I have to use them, where nothing else can get in there except something the size of a mouse or a rat. And it works really good. And I don't want to do that, yep. but I want less to lose $100,000 worth of trees. Right. That's, that's, exactly that's I right. want that a lot less. <laughs> yeah. I'm mm -hmm. sure some of the eco people have just been freaked out. Whatever. You don't have to do it, but you know, you might end up losing everything for 
you know, your idealism rather than mm-hmm. practical reality. Um, right. On that same note, what about fertile fertility? Um, yeah. You know, yeah. I, I was just going to say um, on the fertility thing, um, again, I prefer some some really good compost, um, uh, rabbit manure, goat manure, sheep manure. Any of those are fantastic. But, um, dude, this last year, I was so crazy busy. I didn't have time to get all that stuff. So you know what I yeah. did? Probably I went and I got some. That. Yep, I got some triple 13. And okay. I used that on my fodder trees. And they grew fantastically. And you just use a little bit. Make sure they're irrigated well. Um, yeah, so ideally... We're not using that stuff ever, but yeah. occasionally I'll use it. And I think I used it once or twice last year. And then I was able to get my hands on some, a little bit of free time yeah. and, and some manure. And over the next several years, we're going to be building up the health of that soil. Cause this is brand new ground. They just got planted into. Yeah. Um, uh, we had let this, the old garden space from, I don't know if you remember the the old yeah. garden space with the deer fence all the way around it. Yeah. We just let that go um for years because it was just too far away from the main house. Yeah. And uh and so it's just grown up in weeds, so we knocked down the hugel mounds. We tilled everything up to smooth everything out. We put in our rows on contour. Mhm. And we just used some triple 13. So man, that that's that's one of the things that I I always tell my clients is please do not when you're when you're busy and you're learning this stuff, you're in the learning curve, do not try and do everything uber organic and fantastic and you know hippy dippy perfect. Just chill out. Do what you got to do to get it done and and just grow the plants with the synthetic fertilizer and the synthetic pesticides if you have to, because it's much, much, much better to get that stuff in the ground and get it growing, especially if we're talking about perennials. Yeah. And yeah, go with especially syn- perennials. And go with the synthetic stuff for a couple years while you are building up some momentum. Because these ecosystems take a while to build health and fertility, and they take a while to degrade health and fertility. It's not like I put synthetic fertilizer out there once and it's ruined forever. Yeah, no. it's nonsensical. It's yeah, the repeated it, use across right. time that right. d- destroys and denutes the soil life. Mm-hmm. And it's all the practices that go with it because you have that crutch to lean on. And that That's crutch, right. like you should use it like a crutch. So when I hurt my ankle, I used a crutch until my ankle got better. And I used it mm-hmm. less and less as my ankle got better. If I used it for the rest of my life, I would limp for the rest of my life. So you, you're using it as a bridge. And again, with perennials, like once that tree has roots deep enough, it starts to form those symbiotic relationships because you're not talking about dumping tons of this shit on. You're talking mm-hmm. about enough to get it through that adjustment phase mm-hmm. before it's developed the relationship with the soil life. Mm-hmm. And, and people don't realize, I think, that that often takes time. Now I'm doing some things differently because of Alan. I can't think of his name. Alan Booker, I think is his name, uh, a seminar I listened to by him. And he was talking about, especially with annuals, 
you want to be using the life that's in your soil when you propagate seed because they form those symbiotic relationships early on. And with a lot of annuals, they won't ever form that relationship if they, if they are germinated in an environment lacking it mm-hmm. because then they adapt like that epigenetics take over and they adapt to an expectation. It won't be there. Right. So I'm trying to do more of that, but I'm with you. If, if, if it's losing something, Mm-hmm. or establishing something. I'm going to establish the thing. And for those that are going, gasp, you know, oh, mm-hmm. my God, Jack Spirico and Nick Ferguson are okay with this. <laughs> like, yeah, we're not okay with it as a mainstream, like mainstay every day, all the time, ongoing thing, right? This is a, a thing. Mark Shepard, we did a project with him, and he told both of us that he's had projects where they've used glyphosate Mm-hmm. on establishment to knock back the competitive trees as they're establishing the trees they want. And they do mm-hmm. it once to get those trees established without the competition. If Mark Shepard does a thing, it's not that bad. You know? Yeah. Oh my God. Now the world is, I know Jeff Watton's done not specifically that, but some other things like, okay, in this spot for this thing, we're going to do this thing for this time. Uh, I know in one instance, using some antifungal that wasn't organic because the guy he was consulting for would have been broke by the next season had he not done it. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's like, we're going to save this so that you don't go mm-hmm. broke. So this is here to move into a permaculture property. And there's a puritanical mindset in some people. And I, I don't know about you. I generally find these are people that they actually haven't grown anything. Yes. Like at all, even mm-hmm. in a pot, right. They watch YouTube videos. They have an ideology, but Nature will cure your ideology really fast if you give it a shot. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah. Nature does not care about your feelings. It just That's does right. It, right? <laughs> yeah. And like when I'm when I'm planting those trees, um, yeah. and when I'm I'm starting stuff from seed, man, I use I use worm castings all the time. There's tons of good stuff in the worm castings. There's tons of those fungal connections that'll happen. Um, and when I plant these trees. I'll often have a little bit of worm tea or a mycorrhizal inoculant that all of the trees get dipped in. Their roots get dipped in. In fact, I even ship my trees. All the trees that I ship get a mycorrhizal inoculant. Um, I so, think that's one of the best things you can do. Mm-hmm. That is, and it's easy, and it's it only seems expensive in your head. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not expensive. Yep. Um, and, you know, if, if I'm doing that with every single tree that I ship out to my customers, you can do that with your stuff at home. Yeah. Um, and, and you know, that's one of the things that, that I do different than I've never, not once have I heard of a single nursery doing that with their, with their plants. Mm. Um, yeah. so yeah, I think that's what, that's one of the, the important things is, uh, you know, we we can progress towards that uber organic um, mindset and system, um, but man, just do not be afraid of getting started with less than ideal situations, buying stuff from a big box store, using those less than ideal things, and then as you get better and as you get yep, dynamico. This is what Um, I'm using this year, Nick. The reason I brought that up for those that are on the video for this. um, So I did some compost tea to inoculate biochar this year. 
And I'm like, why not add mycorrhizal fungi straight to the compost tea? So I put a mm-hmm. tablespoon of this in a, in a five-gallon bucket, so about four gallons of compost tea and aerated. I just hung it in a burlap sandbag for the tea bag. And I harvested that compost tea. I inoculated my biochar and my potting mix with it. And I had some leftover. I put it out in the garden. And when I put it in the garden, I have that that one wicking bed, you know, with all the um, bee balm in it. Mm-hmm. I dumped it. There was only a little bit left. So I dumped it in the center. The center of it's like a foot higher than everything around it right now. But I forgot about the bag of the old compost and, and stuff. And I left it in a, a tub that I mm-hmm. set it into so it wouldn't leak everywhere. It's been like six weeks. I found it yesterday and it's just covered in fungal hyphae. Like the mm-hmm. whole bag is, and it's dry. I don't even know how it's alive, except that it's indoors and it's shaded from the sun. It's just massive amounts from a tablespoon of that stuff. Yep. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. So I definitely, I'm with you on the mycorrhizal. I think it's one of the, the lowest cost investments you can make for the ROI long term because especially again you're back to your perennials that fungal relationship is once it's in your soil unless you kill it somehow it's mm-hmm. forever That's it's right. forever it's essentially it's doubling the size of your root mass across time so what's That's that a worth? big deal what's that That's worth what's a tree with double its root mass worth compared to a tree with its normal root mass. And that's mm-hmm. that's the way I think it should be. It's not what it is, but it's the way we should look at it because of what that relationship enables. What are your thoughts on greenhouses? Everybody wants a greenhouse. I think greenhouses are good things, um, mm-hmm. but I don't know that everybody needs a greenhouse. And I think there's different greenhouses for different purposes. Yep. Uh, greenhouses are great. Um, I... I am aiming to get one put up this year, but I've been doing this for years and years with no greenhouse. Uh, it's it's not necessary. Um, they are a nice to have. They are not a must have. Now there are certain situations if you're in drylands where you might want to strongly consider a shade house mm-hmm. at least. Um, if you're up north and you're somewhere where you're going to have freak snowstorms or freak freezes, um, and you need to make sure things are timed well, well, a greenhouse is probably a really good idea. Um, but for the most part, it's not absolutely necessary. And, and most people, they really just need a little bit of room to get things started. So if you're, germinating seed it might be a good idea to have a small greenhouse just so you can get um some of your seedlings started and and growing with a little bit more shelter and a little bit more protection so it's it's not the most necessary thing but there are situations where it can be really helpful um and there are situations where um you know, if you're if you're thinking about stacking the function of that in time, um, you know, you can be starting seeds and then you can also be growing things that wouldn't be able to be grown there um, in in your region, like, for instance, house plants. So mm-hmm. you could keep some some mother plants indoors and then you could move them outdoors for the summer and late spring 
and then you could propagate a whole bunch of houseplants outdoors in a greenhouse with that added humidity and the protection from wind, protection from rain if it's necessary. And I mean, that's, you know, when, when we're talking about homesteading stuff, a lot of people, um, they get really laser focused on, um, edible stuff. I don't want to do anything unless it's edible. Right. Yeah. And, and they miss out on this amazing opportunity to make your hobby or make your, this season of your life of getting plants established, make that provide for itself. We've got a mutual friend, David. Um, I love the mentality of make the hobby pay for itself. Correct. So if you're if you're thinking about this and you're like, I I just really want a a greenhouse to start my tomato and pepper seeds. Yeah. And you're looking at greenhouses and I'm going to invest 10 grand into a greenhouse or five grand into a greenhouse. That's a decent size. Yeah. Um, Do you really need it? It might make your life a little bit better. Um, It might. uh, It might enable you to have success where you otherwise wouldn't so that's great but if you look at the roi of the lifespan of that structure and compare it to what you're actually getting out of it you might be breaking even but i think a lot of times especially in the homesteading um community it's really easy to not count the cost Mm -hmm. and do a critical assessment because you're just man i just i want it so I'm going to yeah, justify yeah. it. I want it, so I'm just going to justify it. Well, we got to start our tomato seeds. Yeah. Do you really, though? No. But here's the cool thing. You know, like we're talking about these these plants. If you're able to stack functions with it yeah, and do something like grow some ornamentals that people will pay stupid money for, yeah, quite easy to propagate, and you can use that structure – for both things. So basically you're using that structure as a side hustle to make, I don't know, house plants, for instance, and boom, you're making money because man, people will pay for luxury items and pretty house plants and flowers are luxury items and they will pay stupid money for that stuff and not even think about it, not even blink twice when they would, you know, if if you're talking about selling them a tomato plant, I'll be like, six dollars. I'll give you four for it. You know, they're oh. gonna they're <laughs> gonna be what? Well, you know, they're gonna be a whole lot more apt to um, try and just be stingy about parting with their dollars when it comes to something that they feel like they need versus what Correct. they want. So you yeah. always want to sell to the want. People right. think completely backwards. And here's how I always explain this when I talk about business, no matter what it is. You get a person and they lose a job, get a pay cut, whatever. The first thing they do, they start looking at their elect. Can I switch electric providers? Can I get a better cell phone? Like all the stuff that they're just going to have is the mm-hmm. first place they go to cut, but they'll still pay for seasoning open tickets to a baseball game, right? That they absolutely do not need. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it's it's a way to lose and and lose with money. So in, in long term, losing life. But it's what people do. Mm-hmm. And anybody that doubts it, 
I would just say pick a Saturday or Sunday, go to Lowe's or Home Depot or any other big box nursery type place. Stand there (laughs) for 15 minutes with your mind open and your mouth closed Mm -hmm. and watch people check out and watch what they buy. For Mm -hmm. every one tomato plant that goes out that door, a flat of marigolds or dahlias or something is going to go out that door. Right. Mm -hmm. That's what's going to go. That's what people buy for every apple tree that leaves four red maples or four Japanese maples are going to go out the door. And and I mean, I've watched it. It's every time. So you sell that to pay for the stuff you want. And then don't discount that stuff for yourself. Like I did a Mm -hmm. video tour of my garden so far this year. I've got a lot of open holes yet. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. most of that's going to be flowers. It's going to be marigolds. It's going to be flowering herbs and stuff like that, because it brings value to the diversity of the ecosystem anyway. And then don't forget a lot of things that people think are ornamental are edible. Maybe you're mm-hmm. not going to eat them every day, but they're there as like, like Ken would say, survival food. Like you mentioned hostas. There's a lot of edible hostas. There's mm-hmm. a lot of edible lily, right? You might mm-hmm. not, again, you might not be like, I'm going to, I'm going to grub on this today, but don't discount the value of, of what you could sell and the mm-hmm. value of what you can plant yourself because mm-hmm. not everything needs to be edible. And I honestly don't think everything should be edible. No. If you eat it, something else eats it. So we need things in there that certain things don't eat so that we can create that confusion for that mm-hmm. predator pest, pest relationship, right? Yep. Yeah. So, you know, back to the greenhouse thing. D- do you need it? Well, yeah. probably not, but you might have an excellent opportunity to stack functions because I, I love I love it. I love stacking yeah. functions to find a way to pay for planting your whole property out to edibles and and some ornamentals by just selling ornamental stuff and and it may mean success by putting up a greenhouse jack i have quite a few times just been driving through the countryside and someone's got a greenhouse and it catches my eye and I yeah. look and there's a sign out front and they have some stuff out there and I've picked up stuff on honor system. They've got a couple tables <laughs> set out and they've got perennials just grown out there and there's a box and they've got a price list. Here's a pot of rosemary for five bucks. Yeah. And you know, if you're out in the country, it's very seldom that people are just absolute dirtbags and will just rob you over something like that. I mean, most people wanting to plant rosemary in their garden are not going to be yeah. dirtbags. No. Um, no. So, and there's, so, a lot of, there's mean, not a lot of money in fl- – you can't go to the pawn shop with a rosemary plant, right? <laughs> so that's, like, where you leave your DeWalt drill out, somebody might steal it, but they're probably not stealing rosemary, you know? Right. Yeah. So yeah. And I mean, then the, the country too, like if you get caught stealing, you're shit, right? Mm-hmm. I knew this dude, they knew somebody was stealing gas cans. So somebody put out a gas can that was full of sugared gas. So then it got stolen mm-hmm. and then the dude's car blew up. Well, not only did he get his car blown up, everybody knew who he was and he ended up literally moving. Because he couldn't function in the community anymore. Nobody would have yep. anything to do with him. Yep. So, yeah, I mean, that that's one of those things to, to consider is the, you know, 
if you're if you're doing that as a little bit of a side hustle, just having a small greenhouse set up close enough to the road that people can see it will catch eyes. Yeah. And yeah. and that's, and probably will and probably will do some marketing for you. So yeah. that's 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 one of those things to consider. T- tell me you don't do this, not just driving through the country. You're driving around in town or whatever, and you spot a nursery with a sign that says, you know, Bill's Nursery, Mike's Nursery, whatever. But what you actually spot is the tunnels or the greenhouses, and then that makes you read the sign. like that, ha- <laughs> Or the landscaping where they set up everything all beautiful, and you're like, oh, what's going on there? Oh, it's a nursery. And mm-hmm. I don't know about you. It's really hard for me to drive past. I have to be going somewhere that I have to be on time or I'm pulling over and I'm going to go look right. at least. Well, you know? be- because because I mean, Jack, there there could be something there that that you need that I don't have, and I need that, right? And I need it somehow. I've I made it, right it my now. whole life without it, but at fifty-one, now I need it. You know, uh-huh. there was a time I used to be like that with tools too. I'd find a tool and I'm like, I want that in my toolbox. Well, what is it? I don't know, but it looks. Cool. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've never seen that tool before. It must be important, or it wouldn't exist. You know. <laughs> um, yeah, definitely. And like you mentioned David earlier about make your hobbies pay for itself. Mm-hmm. He does a lot with automation too. And he talks about like, what would you do if you didn't have to do it? Mm-hmm. Right. And and the way to look at that with the greenhouse is what would you have if you didn't have to pay for it? Mm-hmm. So if I have to pay five grand to install a really nice, you know, mid sized little greenhouse, but I could sell $10,000 worth of shit out of it in the first year, I didn't pay for a greenhouse. My customers paid for my greenhouse, which I also guarantee you I lost money on on my tax return. Somehow, $5,000 went off the boat. It took my guns and my Bitcoin to the bottom of the ocean. And somehow that was a money loss on that investment with depreciation across time. Well, I mean, that's function stacking. Yeah, I mean, you could just have uh, an irrigation failure and and half of your 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 plant crop just died. And and that's. That's a loss oh, in big right yeah. Now. That's a loss right there. <laughs> it happens. It happens. You know, you might have an irrigation failure, or maybe somebody you let take care of all your blueberry plants, let the goats in. <laughs> you, you knew I was going to bring that up on this episode, right? <laughs> that was a, that was a pretty bad day. I remember seeing your face that day. You were not a happy man. Um, mm-hmm. What what is the cost of setting something up like this? I'm sure that's highly variable. We could go, we could put a twenty thousand dollar greenhouse in, and it's not yep. even not even that impressive. But we also don't need to do that. So setting up a basic propagation operation where you can make plenty of stuff for yourself, mm-hmm. plenty of stuff to sell on Craigslist or next door. What, what what kind of investment are we probably talking? Yeah. So I mean, there's a whole lot of little little tricks and and. Uh, sourcing you can do to set up something as little as free or just stuff that you have laying around your house. So I've seen people set up a little tiny nursery and they get some stuff growing with stuff they had laying around and they take that and they snowball that. They put what they made from that the first year and they snowball it into the, into the next year. Um, that's, that's basically what I'm doing. So, mm. you know, I'm buying all of these, um, all of these blueberry and blackberries. I have, you know, 20 different cultivars of, of each of them now, at least. 
Um, because I want, I want all the types of blueberries, but the nice thing is I'm able to take those blueberries and take cuttings off of them and propagate them out. And then boom, I'm, I'm covering my costs. So, I mean, if you're going to be setting up an intermittent mist system, I would say probably somewhere in the $500 range to get an intermittent mist system set up with uh you know cheaply sourced um extra stuff that you'll need um you know a lot of people think well i need i need all this expensive weed barrier fabric to put everything on well that's nice and 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 that's great but you don't have to buy weed barrier fabric i mean you could just put down an old tarp you Mm. can put down um an old uh, uh billboard tarp you know those things work Maybe not ideal, but sometimes you can get them cheap yeah. or free. Yeah. So, so yeah, I'd say probably around around the five hundred dollar mark to uh, to get a a decent, very well rounded propagation setup going and functional. Yeah, I would agree with that. And you know, don't be afraid to improvise. Like what I've been using this yep. year to start all my all my annuals is red solo cups. Because they're cheaper than every other option. Mm-hmm. And I was drilling them. And what I realized when you drill them, you end up with all these little pieces and shavings of plastic, mm-hmm. which I don't really want to inject into the roots of my plants. And what I figured out is you take a soldering gun, yep, you let it get hot, and you can stack about five of them together, <laughs> and you just melt three holes in the bottom, and you get perfectly melted holes without all the little mm-hmm. flailings of plastic. So improvise and reuse, like mm-hmm. you want pots, go to Home Depot, Lowe's, et cetera. A lot of times they'll, they have stacks of that shit they'll just give you for free because mm-hmm. they don't know what to do with it, especially toward the end of spring when you get into summer when all the plants die. Mm-hmm. They just dump all that crap out. They get their refund from Bonnie's or whoever, and they'll give away tons of the, the, the pots, the trays, everything. And I've also seen people like put out on like next door, hey, do you have – stuff like that you want to get rid of because mm-hmm. a lot of people go every year to the box store. They buy 30, 40, 50 plants. They plant all that shit. They don't want to throw the pots away, but they don't have a use for it. And I've seen people get tons of pots and stuff like that for free just by asking for it. <clears throat> yep. I've even gone um, and, and talked to the, the outdoor sales manager for, uh, for the big box stores and just said, hey, when when you're getting ready to to toss all this stuff, um, let me know, and you know I'll I'll give you some cash just to be able to haul off all of the dead stuff. Yeah. Well, why would you want to do that? Well, it's got potting mix in it, and and yeah. I could use it for some filler. Yeah. Well, what I do is I take home the the dead plants, I dump them all out, I rinse the pots, and I've got pots to use. And now I've got a mountain of potting mix. Yeah. That potting mix isn't cheap. Yeah. Oh, no. That's your biggest expense. Yeah. That's a bigger and, expense than the containers. And the bigger right. the container, the bigger the expense of filling the container. Mm-hmm. Right. And I have found personally that I don't do six packs or even four packs anymore. I do at least like a solo cup size, even with my annuals, mm-hmm. because you get so much more growth yep. and root mass before that transplant. And I've been doing the weed blockers for my garden this year, and I've got one of those dragon uh, weed flamers. 
and they make a hole that's the exact diameter of the plug that comes out of a solo cup, like the two of them were meant to go together or something like that. So you just make a hole and shove it in there and you're planted. Perfect. Um, yeah, like there's, there's so many things. And I know one year you had like, you had like 20 flats of like zinnias and shit like that that you mm-hmm. bought that way, but they weren't dead. Mm-hmm. I think when you got them, they were like on the edge of death and you just threw mm-hmm. them in the shade and watered them and like 90% mm-hmm. of them came back. And yep. you had like a penny a plant into them. So someone else did all the work. You got all the plants mm-hmm. and you got them for a penny a plant. Like that's another thing people can do is like pay. I've seen people get like bags, like grocery bags, stuff full of seeds by like never be afraid to ask. Like when that's I used right. to do sales training, right? I would have like everybody stand up, turn to your left or your right and face somebody. And then whoever's on the left say no. Right. And then I'd be like, whoever's on the right also say no back. And I'd be like, is anybody bleeding? Does anybody need transportation to the hospital? Does anybody have a heart attack? Did anybody's child die? See, no doesn't hurt. Mm-hmm. So never be afraid to ask because the worst thing that can happen is no. You know? Yep. And and never be the first one to name a number. Oh, no. No. You no, always no. you always no. say, you know, what would you you know, what would you do? Because. Um, that, that instance where, where I ended up walking out with like two grand worth of, um, it was like pansies and yeah. snapdragons and stuff. Um, I filled up the flower beds for my wife, like jam slammed full. Yeah. Um, and you know, I was, I was willing to spend about 250 bucks. Yeah. And, and the manager was like, I don't know when pointing to this rack. Yeah. And I thought he was talking about the shelf. Yeah. Um, 80 bucks. Yeah. Um, and I was like, all right, cool. Um, so, so how many? All of them. <laughs> and he said all of them for 80 bucks. Yeah. And yeah. I was willing to like get like two of the racks, but I got like six of the, the wheeled racks that are like, you know, eight yeah. shelves tall. Yeah. For like 80 bucks. It was insane. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so don't be afraid to ask and then don't offer the first number because otherwise you might miss out on a really, really good deal. Yeah. And if they force you to give a number, then give something stupid. Yep. I was thinking like $10. Yeah. You know, if it's something you'd pay a hundred for, you know, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I gotta be 50. Oh, okay. Right. But right, all you- right. Say nothing, or if they force it because they know the mm-hmm. same deal, then you just lowball the shit out of it. Mm-hmm. And, and when they say, "Well, that's just too little," then your response is, "Well, what were you thinking?" Yeah, and that's mm-hmm. already drugged the number in their head down because generally these people don't really care. It's not like pickers where the guys are driving around in a van and asking some old man that's emotionally attached to a mm-hmm. bicycle seat or something. Like <laughs> it's none of that. This guy doesn't really care. He just wants his P&L to look better, and he wants that shit out of the way for the next thing that's coming in at the mm-hmm. change of a season, and that that is the opportunity. Um, you've got a course coming up. You were hoping it would be ready today, but it's not. And before Nick answers this, it's the last thing I got on the agenda, guys. So if you have questions and you're on the live feed, I only have three in the queue. Now is the time. You have two people here that can answer all kinds of crazy shit about plants. Take the opportunity. Put your question in all caps. But, Nick, what's up with this course? Yeah, so um, uh, as you know, 
I had a, a plant propagation course years ago. Mm-hmm. Did really well. Um, people loved it. So what I'm going to be doing is later this year, I'm probably going to be launching the website in around the 1st of June. Um, and what I'm going to be doing this go round is I'm going to offer my new propagation course as a one-off, but I'm also going to do as a second option, a subscription. Okay. So you can get the one-off course or you can sign up for the subscription and it's cancel anytime. So if you get part way through it and you just decide, you know what, this isn't for me, you cancel it and you just don't watch the rest of the videos. But what we're going to be doing is through this summer into fall, through winter, and into next spring, I'm going to be showing exactly what I'm doing for my homestead scale nursery. And because I'm in the south, you know, if you're in Florida, you're going to be a little bit ahead of me. But generally, I'm going to be just a little bit ahead of just about all of the country. Yeah. So I'm going to be showing what we're doing, how to build. Uh, so in June, we're going to be showing how to build an intermittent mist system and then how to take those cuttings, how to root them, what to be looking for, how to deal with the diseases. Um, let's see. What all do we have here? Um, we're going to do, be doing softwood cuttings. We're going to do some simple greenhouse construction, show you how you can do something for a whole lot less that will do 90%, 80% of what you need it to do. I like that, uh, the 80-20 rule. So if, you know, if we can put out way less effort and get 80% of what we need done, man, that's, that's a, a really good thing, especially when we're talking about shoestring budgets, uh, on homesteading stuff. It's really nice to be able to do something a little bit cheaper than, you know, a delivered or constructed by a company greenhouse kind of thing. So we're going to be doing some simple greenhouse stuff and we're going to be talking about, you know, later that summer, the uh, weeds, diseases, insects, heat, etc. you know, all those things, how to how to manage and mitigate those problems. We're going to go over stuff on the inside of a the greenhouse, you know, some quality of life things to help make your life a little bit better when you're working in a greenhouse. Um, let's see, automation and irrigation. We're going to be talking about transplanting, hardware considerations, you know, so a lot of people think, well, I need this certain set of pots or this or this or this. Um, I'm going to cover a whole bunch of that stuff in the fall and into winter when it's kind of a dead season. And then um, we're going to talk about propagating mother plants. And then later that winter, we'll go over hardwood cuttings. And late winter, we'll talk about division. And then winter pruning, of course. And then when we're getting towards late winter, early spring, we'll get into grafting. Um, and, you know, like we talked about, let me pull up those prices. I mean, <laughs> we're talking about uh, 90 and 60, $75 fruit trees. I mean, it doesn't it doesn't take long to graft. Um, I mean, the the pear trees were were stupid simple. And I I'm going to be teaching in this course how to take pear seed from 
just an ornamental pear tree that's they're all over the place. How to take those seeds, how to get them cold stratified. Oh, that was one of the things in, in fall. We'll be covering um, seed starting and mm-hmm. cold stratification. That's that's kind of uh, wizardry to a lot of people. It's really simple. We're going to make it really simple and easy. Um, but I'm going to be showing you how to take those pear seeds, grow your own free pear rootstock, and then graft the pears. And pears are one of the easiest things to graft. And when we're talking about 20 to $100 a tree, man, that's that's a really easy way to get some wonderful fruit growing on your property. Pears are great livestock food. It's they a are. lot of crops. So And they um, live here. And yes. if something lives here, and when I say here, I mean my farm. If it lives here, it, it other than if it gets too cold somewhere else, it will live anywhere. Right. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, I remember I had something and, die one time that was really hardy, and you looked at it, and you said, well, your mistake was you planted it here. Right here. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that. You planted um, it here. Yeah. I mean, I mean like, so, you mean the spot? You know, you mean like here. <laughs> like, right. No. Here. Um, so, you know, I, I, I tell people, you know, if even if you're if you're carnivore or paleo and you're not into eating all these fruits, you can still propagate and grow them to feed your livestock, to make your livestock fat. Mm-hmm. That's an excellent thing to do. And then you can take those cuttings off of those and make them into money. Um, and then later on in that uh, late winter, early spring, we're going to talk about some sales and marketing. And then we will finish it all up at the end of the year. And then that that video course will be concluded. And then in addition to that, we're going to have other video courses that we're going to be filming consecutively, like tree fodder, for those of you who are interested in growing fodder trees and don't know exactly what to do with them all. We're going to be covering that stuff and some gardening stuff. So I've got I've got some uh, a, a nice schedule all worked out for what all we can be producing but I think that's going to that's going to be able that's going to make it able make it possible for me to um scale up because you know I I can't be everywhere every year. I mean, there's only so many stops I can I can do. My my July consulting tour is is pretty much jam-packed full. I'm going to be gone for almost a month. I think. And that sucks. I don't miss those days, Nick. I don't. Yeah. I, well, I lived that way for 20 years. That's probably why I don't want to do it anymore. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. But you know, I, I can only, I can only make it to so many stops. So yeah. what, what I see this is a, a way for me to get to more people and get them the information to make smart choices on their properties and save a lot of money and even make a lot of money. So um, we're going to be covering that stuff. And then uh, depending on how well this goes, I plan on doing what will essentially be a practical PDC um, a little bit down the, down the road. Um, I've never wanted to do a PDC because the vast majority of the people that want to take one 
they think it's going to provide them with a lot more of the practical solutions. And it's, man, but you and it's I both like wanting to know how to redesign your home, like mm-hmm. interior decorating yep. and going to architecture school. Exactly. That That's the best analogy I've come up with. Like you're going to architectural engineering school and you're taking a one year college course in 10 days. Yeah. That's what a PDC is. Bill Mollison said it is an inhuman course to learn, but it is a totally inhuman course to teach. To teach. Yeah. Right. And he did it for 20 years. So he knows something about what he's saying. Basically, I take a year of college mm-hmm. and cram it into 10 to 14 days. And mm-hmm. so it's a great thing. Yeah. I think anybody that understood what they were doing would benefit tremendously from a good PDC. But I, I think that most people's expectations are such that it will prevent them from doing so, if that right. makes sense. Yeah. Um, so, so I've been working on this for quite a while now. Uh, we've talked about it for yeah, we a have. couple of years now. Um, and you know, what I'm, what I'm trying to do is, is produce a course that is going to that, that Pareto principle mm-hmm. is going to get people 80% of what they need and get it into their hands for way less than a consult with me. And that's going to help me financially with my goals. And it's going to help far more people because, you know, every year I have, I have clients that I just, I can't get to, I'm sorry. Um, Cause there's a waiting list and man, that, that really stinks because I know I could be saving them thousands and thousands of dollars and I can be saving those clients years of misery and banging their head against a wall because they just, you know, they didn't know exactly how to lay things out or set things up in a smart way to prevent, you know, half of the problems that they're running into. So, well, and when you do take consultants, I think you'd agree your best, your, your best client is an educated client. Yes. I would actually say it's a completely stupid client that knows they're stupid or a fully educated client. Both are great. It's the one Mm -hmm. in the middle that fucks everything up. Yeah. I mean, it just does. Yep. Yeah. And, and it's, it's the people that know enough to be dangerous that, that struggle the most. And they've done something before you get to get there. That's the other thing. They've already done a thing. Mm hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, as much as I love, showing up on a, on a client's property and, and, you know, saving them 10, $20,000 in 20, 30 minutes. Um, I love doing that. I, I would love to be a positive change in far more people's lives every year than I'm currently able to just because of the way my business is built. It requires me to be, traveling and setting foot on a person's property for me to be helpful. So, yeah. yeah. Let's take some Q and I here at the end. We'll kind of go as fast as we can since there's quite a few of them. Cause I opened my mouth and said we didn't have any and boy, did they come fast. Uh, Michael <laughs> who has been waiting since the very beginning. What are some good options for food productive shade trees for a front yard? He's not only a 10th of an acre in a 1950s house. There's some limitations there because if you want a shade tree, you've got room for one or two trees. 
Right. Okay. Food productive. Um, Grow a willow tree and train freaking butternut squash up the trunk. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it, it depends on, on, on your region. Um, yeah. that's a, that's a tough one. Um, front yards and here's, here's what I, I like to say. It's a tenth of an acre. It's a front yard. Um, most of the good productive trees are not going to provide good shade. Um, so I would lean a whole lot more towards, um, and he's in Michigan. Just, I I forgot in Michigan and Michigan. Right. So now you've got a a climate region too. All right. Yeah. Um, so I, I would look at, at a more standard size fruit tree. Um, but, but here, here's the deal. If you're planting a fruit tree, then you are going to either stay there for the rest of your life or you're going to create a a sales hindrance for your exit strategy. Hmm. 90% of people do not want an apple tree in their front yard that's going to drop smelly apples and stink up their yard every fall. Yeah. Um, so I would lean more towards, towards a shade tree that I know I could take some trimmings off of to feed my animals. If we're talking about a 10th of an acre, then, you know, I could turn a shade tree in a front yard with a pole trimmer into fodder to feed rabbits in a backyard. They're absolutely silent and that would produce food. So think outside the box. It's it's not just it's not just um, fruit that you're going to get off of a tree. It can be meat. Yeah, yeah. And if you go to an orchard that's being managed properly, organic, yep. conventional, I don't care. You're going to see the same thing. You're going to see trees that are a little bit overhead height and are all shaped like this. They're all for people yep. aren't looking like hanging arms. And if you ask like a French orchardist about this they'll say do you want a tree with their hands straight up or they'll hang them down and say or do you want fruit because this is how we maximize production so fruit trees i mean your best shade tree dual purpose feed would be your nut mass trees and you're but you're in the same position a lot of people are like oh that's dirty that's messy that's but like where he's at like english carpathian walnut would do well I would not even think about black walnut because of the staining is so much more. Um, I don't know, man. I would, I would go with Nick's suggestion on that one and look at fodder and your, your, you have a rabbit tree, yep. right? You have a rabbit tree, you know, you have a rabbit tree from a yep. rabbit tree, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, here's, here's one of the, just to, to kind of piggyback on that. Um, one of the exciting things that I'm actually bringing to rare plant store in in the future jack uh i don't know of any place any any nursery in the world that sells male fruitless white mulberry interesting i am going to be selling male fruitless white mulberry so if you're worried about fruit staining and making a mess in a front yard because mulberries drop lots of berries and And they get stuck in shoe treads, and you'll track it all through your house and stain the carpet, and they make a lot of mess. 
Um, and then the birds will eat them, and you'll have purple bird crap all over your cars. And so are so, your neighbors, and then they're really yep, angry. <laughs> yep, yep. So if you're wanting something that's going to have a really good quality protein leaf that you could grow in your front yard, and they're pretty trees, white mulberry grows from Florida to Canada. So the, I'd, I'd look at that. Okay. Awesome. So Ronald says, do you use any beneficial insects? And after you give that answer, I have a funny cautionary tale to tell. (laughs) Um, So I've I've brought in some in the past, but what I'm looking at uh, in the future are nematodes. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Uh, So the beneficial insects, I mean, the main thing that I that I like to use a lot of are earthworms. they're the main thing that I, I use, and uh, I'm looking at bringing in some some nematodes. And, I mean, as far as, like, ladybugs, I mean, they're, they're fine, but if you ever have to use insecticidal soap, then you're going to kill the ladybug nymphs. So, yeah. um, generally, I'm just, I'm so stinking busy, I just don't have the time to do things perfect, uber-organic. So I'm leaning more towards just put out the insecticidal soap, knock out the aphids, and I let ladybugs just do what they're going to do elsewhere. Yeah, and remember, Nick's talking about nurseries today, not gardens. Those are different things. Though, last year I bought the little cards for the trichogamma wasps. Mm. And you, you, you keep them controlled on temp, and then you can put out every so many weeks through your growing season. And uh, I have lots of ladybugs. Turns out ladybugs eat trypogamma rosps, especially the little eggs before they hatch or right as they're hatching. So I put the little card out and I went out the next morning and it was crawling with ladybugs. Adult ladybugs, not the Oh nymphs. no. Like wolves. They came and they killed all the sheep and there were no wasps. And I tried different places to hide them. And apparently it's, uh, not hard for a ladybug to find these things. So no matter where I put them, the ladybugs eviscerated them. So mm. I decided I'm not going to buy any more trichogamma wasps, not because they don't do their thing, but because my ladybugs will eat them before they get, and I'm sure once they're out and about, they're fine. Uh, so I would have to find some way to like leave something with little enough holes for them to get out and, and maybe I'll play with it again, but just realize that everybody, everything eats something. Mm-hmm. Right. And I've got ladybugs galore. Like I was out pruning up uh, some of my pruning off suckers off my tomatoes and training them up and all this morning. And I found little lady. You could see the little lady. They look like the they kind of remind you of the thing they put in uh, the ears of the guys on Star Trek, the Wrath of yep. God. Right? I know exactly what you're talking about. But they are an amazing little predator. But mm-hmm. they will eat your trick again. <laughs> so be careful what you invest money in on beneficials. Right. My thing is that if you do good practices, you'll build up endemic native um, predators. And then don't overestimate the value of things like uh, praying mantis. They're really cool. I love having them around. If I see an egg case, I never harm it. But it's a one-off generalistic predator where things like lace right. wings that are really are going to hammer specific pests, that's, that's what you're really looking for. But I'm with you. I think nematodes – are like the most overlooked beneficial organism because they're not really an insect in the right, garden. Right. 
Uh, best resource to find plants that grow well in what environments? Just moved to PA from PA to Texas. Desert, big difference. And you know this guy, Dennis. He's uh, been at quite a few of the workshops. So oh, yeah, yeah. He's living out hey, in El Paso now, uh, and he wants to find out what grows well there. My advice would be first, like, look around, see everybody that's growing cool shit in your neighborhood, drive around, meet people, and go talk to old ladies and old men that grow shit because they've been there a long time and they know. That would be one place. What are some other thoughts, Nick? Yeah, so one of my my general um, sets of advice on this specifically is look for your mo your closest um, ag extension agency. Okay. They they do grant research um, and they trial stuff all the time. They are one of your best local sources for general mm-hmm. um, plant types that grow well and that handle the diseases and the environmental conditions. So they're going to have, generally they have a list of, oh, these are the, the cultivars that do best here. And this is what we recommend for X, Y, and Z. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm always looking for ways that I can get back a little bit of the value of the tax dollars that get taken out of my pocket. And that's one of those ways that, you know, just asking a question, oftentimes they'll just email you a handful of PDFs and there's lists of things. And then that'll kind of give you a, a, a jumping off point. You can say, all right, well, these grow well here and this and this and this. And then you can kind of hone it down from there. Back on the guy that was asking about a, the edible shade tree in the comments he just put so put a maple in like everybody else in the neighborhood and i said well in your climate maple does produce an edible that's uh, true you could be making some syrup and hey tap all the neighbor's treats there you go right and uh, offer them a share of the syrup in return for the and then you've got a cottage industry and use that to uh to to buy whatever you want to do next this next one doesn't sound so much like a question but i guess it is and i'm, I'm going to say the question is how do i prevent this I live in a North Carolina eastern area, and I've been through three figs, and they all died. <clears throat> and the only reason I have a question is because it does say question mark, question mark, question <laughs> mark at the end. Stop planting figs. No, I mean, it depends, right? Like, I, I don't know if you're killing your figs or you're buying poor quality fig. Right. You're not in too northern like, of a climate for fig at all there, unless maybe – Eastern North Carolina, if you mean like up in the mountains north of like uh, Asheville, it might be a cold issue, but it doesn't sound like that's the issue. What are your thoughts on figs dying? Yeah, I would say um, get get the the coldest, the most cold hardy figs you can find and then um, uh, do a little bit of a trial and error. And and what I like to say is, you know, put put your. Uh, put your protection around your most expensive investments. So mm-hmm. what I suggest people do when they're trying to get figs through uh, and productive in an edge climate. So if it's just far north enough that they're going to die back to the ground and they won't ever put on any fruit, then what I suggest people do is get some square bales of hay and basically make an insulated wall around the base of the tree and you'll want to do it about the width of the square bell and stack it up about too high 
and then fill up the inside with either shredded leaves or hay as as insulation. So, you know, you got your square bales set on their sides and you stack them up too high and then you fill the, the center and you prune that that fig down to where there's a whole bunch of branches contained inside that hay box and then cover it, put a, a piece of plywood or something over top and a tarp to keep it dry. And so if it stays pretty dry underneath there and and covered up like that through the winter, I've seen people in climates where they can't grow figs, get them to produce well. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's probably what's what's going on, unless I knew exactly where you were and a whole list of other questions about it. Um, Normally what it is is they're not getting established and you're having a hard freeze and it's just hitting that crown too hard. Uh, And it would make it if it established, but it's not getting established. I, yeah. I would add to that two varieties to look at in that climate would be Chicago hardy and brown turkey. Yep. They're both very north hardy figs. And then, like, I think the best thing you could do, drive around and see if anybody of your neighbors has a fig. And we're talking about propagating plants today. And usually people mm-hmm. will be fine giving you prunings. Fig is one and of the very easiest easy. plants in the world to propagate. And so try growing something that's already growing there. And if you find that even among the gardener, horticulturist, permaculture crowd around you, nobody grows figs. Maybe there's a reason because it's not always a temperature thing. Sometimes it's a soil pH issue or something right. like that. And uh, so if it, if it, you know, figs don't, but if it requires acidic soil, I'm not doing it because like it's so alkaline here, the dog's alkaline. Right. <laughs> right. So, I mean, like, like, well, that's going to make your, like I'll put the cinder blocks in my ponds. Like it's going to make it alkaline. <laughs> okay. <laughs> right. Yeah, I don't and, have time to answer that, but on yeah. those, on those, the rain's uh, those, alkaline, the house is alkaline. <laughs> <laughs> Jack's uh, Jack's water is um, fluidized calcium yeah, and magnesium. Pretty That's much, pretty much yeah. all his water is. <laughs> on those figs, Jack, I on Stark Brothers, yeah, Celeste, sixty-five dollars, <laughs> a foot and a half tall. And it's probably one stem sticking it's, up with a couple leaves stick. on it. If that, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. It's a rooted stem is what the it LS, is. The LSU purple is $75. <laughs> That's a good fig, by the way, for the South anyway. It's mm-hmm. a great fig. I grow them here, and they live here. But mm-hmm. still, I'm not paying 60 bucks for one. I'm sorry. No. No, 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 no. All right, moving on. What is the th- What are the thought on using Mexican sunflower and willow as rabbit solo feed? I know your initial, you always have pellets as a backup, right? But yes, what about that combination overall for nutrition for rabbits? Yeah. So if we're talking about Mexican sunflower, Tithonia diversifolia, then that's fantastic. And you combine that with willow. You can almost exclusively feed willow to rabbits okay. as a, as a monoculture feed source. Um, I always, always encourage people to have diversity in their feed. But um, the only reason why I say that is it's such a good feed for rabbits. You can pretty much just feed them willow. So, um, yeah, adding a little bit of uh, Mexican sunflower, Tithonia diversifolia um, to that uh, is perfectly fine. Um, they're not that happy about the, the, the poplar 
They mostly turn up their nose at it, but the white mulberry is fantastic. So my guess is if you're asking about Mexican sunflower and we're talking about the Tithonia diversifolia, um, you're probably in Florida because it's very frost tender. Um, so if you're in Florida, then man, one of the, one of the kings of fodder trees that you should be able to grow very, very well down there is mulberry. So I'd look into white mulberry also. All right. Um, I would, let's move along here. Uh, what is the easiest plant to start growing for profit that sells well? Depends on where you are, but like for me, it, it's just, I don't know how many people you're going to find that want to buy it, but one of the easiest things to propagate in the world and they sell for a lot of money is goji berry. I've got a goji bush outside right now that the only reason I haven't, pruned it back is because I didn't get it done in the winter and there's a dead apple tree that's about eight foot tall that died last year in the drought and the thing consumed the apple tree. Mm -hmm. But I could probably make 10,000 goji plants off of that one plant and you stick it in wet soil, throw it in the shade and in a week it's got roots on it. And in three weeks you can plant it. Right. So that's fast, but I, it's limited. And I, I don't know, I'm back to like, if I was like just concerned about making money from plant propagation, I would go to your local box store and I would sit there and take inventory like I was running game on a blackjack table. And I would what do people buy the most of in your area and then go sell it for half of what the store sells it for? What, what do you think? Uh, I think one of the easiest things my my boys are are propagating and selling Lemon balm. Yeah. All the mints. mints. Yeah. All the mints. Yeah. Cause it's as simple as you pinch off a, a little branch and you stick it in some potting soil and bam, you got a, a new plant. Uh, My granddaughter's doing that with the ice hazelnut mint uh, yep. right now, selling it to family members and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. $5 a six pack. Yep. You know, and it's teaching her business. It's teaching her taking care of plants. It's teaching her, the most basic propagation. Sure. Um, I just bought, I don't know the proper name for it. The plant that I've always called wandering Jew is green, but this is more of the, it looks like it, but it's purple and white variegated. It's that and some other things. And it's a giant hanging basket of it. And like, I'm the guy that when I go out, if I can buy something my wife will like, and it's 20 bucks, I'll buy it because sure. it's a nice thing. So it was this, and the three of them looked like crap. And the one was beautiful. I think 20 bucks for that. And that's the, the reason I bought it is I'm like, well, I can make a million of those and use it as a ground cover because there's a lot of those vining, uh, more tender perennials. It's the same as mint. It's cut, stick, yep. grow. Mm-hmm. And sometimes value add is another thing. Instead of just selling plants, like that little hanging basket, it's probably a $2 pot under there. And it's mm-hmm. got all this stuff on it and it looked really cool and it got me. Right. Yep. And if it got me, you'll get a lot of other people, too. Mm-hmm. I think I think a, a couple of those others that are really quick and easy to propagate that sell really well are the houseplants. You know, those pothos. Um, Jack, I've got <laughs> I have a variegated monstera. OK. Um, <clears throat> its name is Cookie because it's a cookie monstera. OK. Um <laughs> Yeah. Cookie Monster. Um, uh, 
look up uh, the the. I'll just tell you what they. It's stupid, Jack. This is insane. Okay. Um, an unrooted cutting. They're basically like a pothos. Okay. An unrooted cutting, just one node, no leaf on it, no roots. Sell for a hundred forty dollars a piece all day long. Hmm. One of those plants with two or three leaves on them, <laughs> they're pretty much a hundred dollars a leaf. You got one with five leaves on it, five hundred bucks on eBay. Really? Yes. And is this the plant you're talking about? I'm not familiar with this plant. Share this tab instead. Is it something like this? Yep. Okay. Mm-hmm. Kind of looks like an indoor elephant ear, not quite as big, and has holes in the leaves and a very That's right. Okay. All right. Yeah. David propagates something. I can't think of what it's called now, and it's it's very easy to propagate, yet it is expensive. It almost looks like bamboo. And you just yeah, take the, the, the lucky bamboo stuff, yeah. No, it's not bamboo. It's some other plant. It's not bamboo at all, but it yeah. looks like bamboo. It has segments like that. I can't remember what the hell it's called, but it's a very yeah, the, tropical looking thing and you yeah. you, you just look like a stick. And mm-hmm. you're like, what do I do with a stick in the dirt and it just starts growing. Yep, but it's not a bamboo, but but they call it lucky bamboo. Oh, okay. Like that's right. that's the common name. If you're looking at looking for it online or whatever or, uh, at a box store, it's lucky bamboo. Lucky bamboo. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, and then I lost it now. I don't know. There was something else really easy to propagate that I forgot. Uh, oh, not necessarily easy because you have to get your soil type right. But what sells for a lot of money are like the various carnivorous plants and like pitcher plants. You just propagate mm-hmm. from division. Yep. I mean, yep. and those are expensive and you don't have as big a market. But the people that want those things, they really want it. They mm-hmm. They really want it. Uh, another one that's not quite a question, but it really is a question. Ground Gary, he meant cherry. Ground cherry seeds won't germinate. Tried in my style of hydro and seed starting cups. Everything else for him is doing great. My experience has been that when seeds don't start, usually some form of humidity dome is one of the humidity dome and heat. Right. So an under under heating pad heat and put a humidity dome because like one of the things I always struggled with, I don't know about you, but celery, like, and my solution now is like celery seeds cheap. So you just throw like a hundred of them in there <laughs> and then they all sprout. But I've done as simple as like, if I didn't like if I have like a larger rack system and I don't really have room to put in like a flat with a dome on it, I'll take those solo cups and put up over all the ones that need it. I'll just put a piece mm-hmm. of saran wrap. Yeah. And your germination goes way up from that. Any other thoughts on ground? Cause I've never had trouble germinating them i throw them in the garden and they grow that's one of the funny things like ground cherry i have a hell of a time getting them to grow i've, yeah. I've always had problem getting them to germinate so They're a tiny seed and it yep it ruins one of my methods for hard to germinate things because they're so little but i have certain things that if they don't want to germinate if it's a big enough hard seed like the uh the python snake beans i'll scarify those with a little mm-hmm. sandpaper soak them in water But then you take the seeds that you're having trouble germinating, take like three or four layers of paper towel, wet that down, put your seed in the paper towel, fold it over, throw that in a Ziploc bag and close it. And then the perfect place to put it so you don't forget you've done this, that's nice and warm, is the top of your cable box. 
So every time you walk past your TV, you see that little, oh, yeah, I need it. Because what will happen is it will germinate really fast, and if it gets too far germinated, the roots start breaking. And as soon as those seeds start to send out a rootlet, then plant them. So I did that. I had some really old okra seeds, um, the um, Okinawan pink, and oh, they cool. just wouldn't germinate because they were like four years old or something like that. So I did that with them, and I got like 100% germination. I've had spinach not want to germinate. I've done that. Uh, coriander is notoriously a pain in the ass to germinate. And what I found out is like if one coriander seed is actually like three. And so if you crack that seed, like a little nut, and you do that, you get that germination. So if you ever have mm. trouble with anything germinating, that paper towel trick works really well. But ground cherry seed is so freaking tiny. I don't know that that would work well. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, uh, but I've, I've, never I've done that. I mean, I've done that that paper towel in a in a Ziploc bag trip before. Yeah, but the cable TV box is perfect. It's got warm emissions, and it's in a place that you'll see. Unless you have it hidden somewhere, it's a place you'll see it. Put it somewhere, you'll see it. The other place I've put it on top of my fish tanks on top of the light because the light emits warmth, and mm-hmm. then that way every time I walk mm-hmm. in my office, there's this bag with a paper towel. Ta- oh yeah, I need to check on that today. Otherwise, you open it up and it's all gone uh do you have ideas for sourcing large amounts of cold hardy perennial seeds for little to no cost um for little to no cost then i'd be harvesting stuff that grows where you live i would just figure out when they drop seed and i'd go out there and collect the seed um you can use uh little vacuum cleaners to vacuum up a whole bunch of seed and then sift it and sort it later um if you're Wanting to buy it, though, my go-to is Sheffield Seed Company. You know what's funny? Here's what's funny. Check this out. <laughs> for those on the audio only, I, I was a, I was waiting for him to finish, mm-hmm. and I've got the Sheffield website already up, and I brought it up on the screen. That is, yeah. yeah. There's nothing you can't find there that you can reasonably propagate with seed. And is it no cost? No, but... If you look at you, something like Antonovka, you can buy apple, pounds, and you yeah. can buy it by the pound. And what is the cost of one tree? It's it's. Mm-hmm. I consider it low cost, not no cost. And, right. And I've always gotten good quality seed from them. And uh, then don't hesitate to save stuff. Like Nick and I aren't going to grow apples because we're not in the right climate for it. But this idea that if you save an apple seed from a Fuji or something, you're going to get a terrible apple. Or don't you love this, Nick? It's going to turn into a crab apple. Like, that's not how that works. Um, you won't get true to type reproduction, but you'll get an apple that's good for something. And if it makes a detestable apple, prune it back and graft shit onto it. Right. But I mean, I've read all these books about like the old variety apples and where they all came from. And what homesteaders in this country did is they brought just tons of apple seeds with them when they went and set up their homestead. And one of the first things they planted from seed was apple orchards. And then they didn't worry that it wouldn't all be great for everything. And out of that hundred apples they planted, they'd have like 50 would live. And of that 50, they'd have a few that made great cider and they'd have Mm -hmm. a few that made great eating and a few that made great storage and a few that made great vinegar and they figured it out and then they used them. So don't, be afraid to save seed from produce because, and then certain stuff will reproduce true to type, the Antonovka apple, which I have determined will never produce here. It will grow here. It will live here, but it doesn't get cold enough. And it, it's a, a Polish Russian apple, um, mm-hmm. but Bartlett pear, 
the, the true Bartlett will produce uh, a completely edible pear. So don't be afraid to save that stuff either. And, mm-hmm. uh, but I'm with you, like find the stuff that grows and go save the seed for the stuff that grows. Um, pecans, like everybody wants to see all these grafted pecans, but every pecan produces a good nut. Like they just do. And I have found like the wild pecans tend to be a little sweeter, uh, smaller, but sweeter. Ronald says, I have sandy soil, and the ants are epidemic. I don't use insecticides on my property. The moles love it, and the birds love it, and everything around me uses, everybody around me uses poison. Uh, ants, Nick. Yeah, uh, the Steiner Nema Carpo Capse uh, is, a, is a nematode okay. for fire ants. Okay. And you'll basically just, um, I think it's like right before it's going to rain or in the evening, you'll take your, your solution, you'll put it kind of in a hose end sprayer and spray it all over your property wherever those fire ants are and those nematodes spread out and they look for the nests and they burrow into the larvae and the eggs and they eat them from the inside out. And so the fire ants, yes, I know. I love it too. The fires get eaten from the inside out. Um, I think every living creature on the planet has a purpose, but the purpose of yellow jackets and fire ants are to be assholes. That's their purpose that they serve. You know, people say they cultivate soil, you know, North America has tons of ants that do that too, that aren't fire ants. Right. So, um, I would also say don't hesitate to use a little organic toxin in the form of orange oil. Yep. Uh, when you have a colony that is really a problem in a bad area that you know you're going to step in or your kids are going to step in, about a tablespoon of orange oil per the gallon, my wife calls it murder juice, yep. it work, and it works fast. And a big mm-hmm. colony, you might have to hit it a second time, but um, it will knock back vegetation a little bit, but it doesn't last long. It doesn't persist and it will kill any exoskeleton critter it comes in contact with. So we use it as a direct, not uh, broad scale application. Yep. Uh, I did use the antifuego stuff where you add the molasses and the compost tea and all. I didn't see much of a difference, so I just went to straight orange oil. So. Yeah, that's that's what I do, too. I'll do straight orange oil with a little bit of a natural soap, um, like a Castile soap. Yeah. And and warm water and use that as a drench. But, uh, and that's what I've done for years, but it's just, it's a pain to lug that all over the place and drench each mound. And if you're in the South with sandy soil, they're freaking everywhere. So yeah, they're everywhere. I'm, I'm getting some of the, the nematodes this year and I'm just spraying nematodes all over the place. And hopefully that's going to do the trick. I think I'm going to do the same. We will continue to use the orange oil, like, because they will build like a nest at the entry to your shop. Right yep. now we have one that Dorothy's like, I've got to murder them. It's right on our mailbox and it just, you know, mm. she keeps putting it off and like standing back and opening the mailbox and all, and it just keeps <laughs> getting bigger and bigger. And I'm like, this will just make the murder sweeter. Um, I'm going to combine two questions because they're essentially the same. Fred says how to propagate black raspberries and freeze dry guy says, what's the best way to propagate wild blackberries in Oklahoma since they're both cane fruits and in the same world, pretty much the same. What do you say on that, Nick? <clears throat> um, the, Pretty much one of the only ways that's really effective and um, and does a good job is to tip layer them. 
So you'll take the, the growing tip and you'll bend it down, put it in a pot with some, some potting mix and weigh that down with a rock or something. And it's going to grow roots from that tip. And then once it's growing a new plant, then you snip the mother plant off of it and you'll have a new plant. Um, they just, they don't do well from cuttings. Mm-hmm. And if you can figure out how to do them from cuttings, please let me know. I'd really like to know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they're, they're tough to do from cuttings. Tip layering them is just dead simple. They'll do it on their own if you let them. Yeah. Yeah. And they kind of spread out yep. from, the, from the mother plant as well. But the digging them up is a pain in the ass because they're yep. so meshed together. Um, the tip layering, Bob Wells, who I used to work with before he sold his nursery, um, he said that he's like stupid. He's an older dude. He's like stupid internet. Everybody knows everything now. They did exactly that. They tip layered uh, blackberries, raspberries, etc. And so they would, as soon as it rooted, they would just cut it. Well, then yep. your main cane, the leaves are upside down. So he's like, the internet is at fault because people would look at it, look it up, and say the plant's upside down. He's like, well, it's it's not going to stay that way. It's right. okay, right? But like, so even like a guy that was in a nur- the nursery business for like forty years, that was what he was doing. So uh, mm-hmm. any of those fruits can be propagated that way. Uh, Ronald says, "How do you troubleshoot seeds in a in a mini seeds tasting greenhouse that are not starting? Uh, it's been on a heating map in twenty days. All vegetables. Sounds like you got bad seed. You're too wet or you're too hot. I don't know. Yeah." Yeah, that's that's what I'd say. Um, you can be too wet, folks. You yep. can definitely be too wet. You start seeing mildew, mildew, molds, algae growing on the surface of your soil. You're too wet. It's not common to be too warm, but you can be. You can. He has a heating mat, but I will tell you the other thing: you can definitely be too cold. Yeah, you can definitely. Yeah, so it. It it could be any number of things. It could be it's just getting too cold at night. Depends on where you are and and where they're located. So it could be getting too cold at night. I tell you what I really like to do for starting my seeds, Jack. I've got a little temperature controller. I think it's Inkbird or something. Okay. And I've got a a heating mat, just one of the regular ten by twenty. Yeah. Um, I put the heating mat on the like the back wall of a okay. big cooler you know like you take to go camping or fill it full of fish or whatever yeah one of those big coolers and and i'll put that heat mat on the back wall and i'll hook it up to the temperature controller and i'll put all of my flats inside that that cooler okay and i'll shut it and i will get tomatoes pop up in like yeah. two days yeah because it's perfect it's, it's perfect signal. everything is perfect germany now Right. And I just open it up once a day and I, you know, pick up the the trays. I just stack them all on top of each other. And as soon as I see one starting to pop, I pull the whole, you know, flat out go. Yeah. and I set it underneath my grow lights and it's warm underneath the grow lights and they just pop and go. Um, I'll have peppers germinate in four or five days, yeah. sometimes a week. And oftentimes peppers take two to three weeks to germinate. Yeah. But in those kinds of conditions, boom. So, I'd say, um, uh, you know, they don't need a whole lot of airspace above them if they're not germinated. So yeah. and they don't need a lot of light either because they're in the dirt. It's dark in there. That's right. So if they that's come right. out, 
They're yeah. good to go. And and most of those veggie seeds don't need light to germinate. So yeah, put them in a put them in a cooler and put your heating mat in there and, and put a temperature do, controller. But you're probably not starting them indoors. Like carrot needs a little bit of light generally to do well with germination. But you're not if you're starting carrot in a pot. Stop that. Yeah, yeah, stop, yeah. You don't stop want to doing that. that. That's not what you're supposed to be doing. That's wrong. Um, the other thing, and there's probably a lot of people in this audience that might have these. Uh, before I got into birds and all, I used to do snakes when I lived in, uh, in, in Arlington. And so I have the old school hovabator styrofoam incubator. Mm-hmm. Great place to start seeds. You kind of dial in the temperature. It's a perfect humid environment. And so instead of throwing away, I used it for a number of years till uh, the element ant finally crapped out to start seeds, especially stuff that needed some heat early on. That's so great. if you have one of those. Now I have the programmable ones and there's not enough room in there to make it practical. But if you have a, a larger incubator that is not currently hatching birds, it could be hatching plants. Just saying like always, nice. what is the, what is the multifunction stack you can do with anything you own? Uh, we only have a couple more. Uh, James says, Nick, I have pear suckers shooting up all around one of my pear trees. No question. But I will, if you want a talking point, I find that interesting. I think that those can be turned into rooted stock that you can graft onto yeah yeah you could um so most likely if those suckers are popping up off of the base of your tree um you don't want to pile up a whole bunch of uh potting mix around the root crown but what you can always do um and i've done this before is um you take something like a soldering iron and you you know you take your pot and right on the side of the pot, if there's already a drainage hole, you can just slip that drainage hole over top of that sucker and then fill up that pot with some potting mix. And you can what's called stooling and you can cause those pears that are shooting up to root into that potting mix. And then you let it just go until the winter and then you snip it off at the base and you've got a rooted pear now. Yep. You could take that and then graft onto it um, later that winter, early Which spring. Which is interesting because look at the next question from Mark. Air rooting, practical, or hype? Sorry if I already covered it, but I had to cut out for a few. That's pretty much, no. that's pretty much it. I, yeah, I, I, think that's, I think it's fantastic. Um, air rooting is, is great. I'm actually going to be trialing some stuff um, with uh, the, um, the cane fruits this year. Because mm-hmm. um, I have a whole bunch of cane fruits and I'd like to get a whole bunch propagated and it's just not practical to um, tip layer um, on a more commercial scale. Because if I yeah. can take, you know, if I can take half a dozen of those um, air layering, you know, snap on plastic pods on yep. one cane. Yep. And then get, you know, six rooted plants off of one cane. Now... Now I'm able to turn out some plants, so I'm going to be trialing those, see how they do. I don't know. I've never used those little pods. Um, it might be a little too hot where I am, but I'm going to I'm going to give that a shot. But yeah, air rooting uh, is is fantastic. It's it's tried and true. It works great. It's just a little bit laborious because you have to make sure um, each one of those little tiny pots stays watered well enough. That's that's the biggest challenge is keeping it watered. Yep. I've used water bottles, cut the bottom off, put them upside down over mm-hmm. top fill them up from the bottom and wrap them in saran wrap. But you do have to, it is even 
kind of mostly closed up, it's hard to keep them moist enough to get that to do. And what Nick said about you don't want to pile dirt up on the tree to root suckers is true. And this is kind of what's what's happening and why you don't want to do it to the base of a tree. If you bury a tree, it will lose its bark. And if it doesn't rot and die, it will make roots. But that's the direction that goes. It doesn't go the other way, right? Like it's not going to turn back into the trunk of the tree. And a lot of times you will kill or drastically shorten the lifespan of a tree. So I've seen people, uh, Howard Garrett here, the dirt dogger calls them tree volcanoes. And it, yep, tree volcanoes. And people pile the mulch up around a tree. You do not want mulch around the base of your tree. Your mulch should be thickest by the drip line and it should get thinner as it comes in. And, the mm-hmm. last bit around, there should be nothing there. Trees like to grow with nothing uh, around the very base of them because wet, cold, up against something, you have a recipe for rot, fungus, especially the kind yep. you don't want, et cetera. Yep, yep. I think that's it for questions, Nick. You got anything else you want to let people know about before we wrap up? No, no. I think this has been great. I think it's been a good discussion. Uh, Nick's course is coming soon. You can learn more about Nick at rareplantstore.com and homegrownliberty.com. I have links to that, plus his Telegram announcement channel for Rare Plant Store in the show notes for you. It's not in the video notes, but it will be on the audio side. There's a link to that. If you click it this minute and you're watching us live, it's not there yet. We're not quite finished. Uh, About one hour from the time that we end this, which will be very soon, uh, that audio will go up, and you can go over there, and you can get all the resources, including some of the things that we mentioned. I'll have a link to Sheffield Seeds, uh, where you can get neem cakes and some other stuff like that that came up in the discussion. Nick, thank you for being with us today. Thanks for having me again. Interview, and as it usually does when Nick and I get together, it went long, so I'll wrap up quick. Just want to remind you guys, you can help support this show always by becoming a member of the MSB. Uh, it's a membership that will pay itself back with all the discounts you get. To learn more, just go to the survivalpodcast.com forward slash members or go to the survivalpodcast.com and click on the members tab. Either way, we'll get you there and you can sign up. You can also do your online shopping beginning at tspaz.com. That's T-S-P-A-Z, tspaz.com. All you got to do is go to tspaz.com and you can uh, see the item of the day, all the stuff that we recommend. But even if you don't buy something I'm recommending, as long as you begin your shopping online there, you'll help us out no matter what you eventually buy. Today's item of the day is one that I, I really should have brought this around a long time ago. I even put a little video out on it today to show you what post repair looks like when you use it. But I just had to use it on my vacation to California. It is shoe goo. And again, this is one of these things every prepper and every traveler, every backpacker should have this in their kit. It's an adhesive. It's a goo. But it really, really, really works for repairing damage to your shoes. In my case, I had sole separation on uh, my hiking boots while we were in California. And not the next day, but the day after that, we had a hike planned to Montgomery Woods to where the thousand-year-old Redwoods were. Now, the entire reason we took that vacation was because on my, I, I'd been to the Redwoods before, my wife hadn't. On her bucket list was to stand next to those thousand-plus-year-old trees to touch them. That was her dream on this trip. That's why we spent all the money and all the time to go to Northern California. And so, you know, if you're hiking back into a place like that where it's fairly rugged and all, and your shoes fall apart, you have a problem. You have a problem. So a $7 tube of goo saved the entire purpose of the trip. Now, in this situation, what would I have done? If I would have felt that that was really at red, and they were, they were about to come apart. 
Um, <laughs> I would have went to a store and bought a new pair of boots. But then you have a brand new... Like, you don't want to be doing that when you're on vacation. And then the other thing, as a prepper, you really want to make sure that if things are in a bad way and you can't get supplies, because we all know that can happen, that you have ways to, to, to make what you have last longer. And then lastly, there's a lot... You know, I, I put it this way. Back when I was a teenager, I remember I bought this pair of boots. I wore the soles flat before the boot fell apart and before the weld to the sole fell apart with the boot. I ended up having them repaired, and, and I kept growing in my 20s, so my feet got bigger. I ended up like giving them away or something because... They lasted longer than, than than they fit me. Boots just don't work that way anymore. Shoes don't work that way anymore. Everything's got more expensive. If you can defer a capital expenditure, that's a business term for like don't spend the money today if you can not spend it for another six months to a year. There's a lot of times these repairs on expensive shoes and boots can last a year or more. Uh, I've definitely had it happen before. It doesn't just fix the separations between the sole and the boot body. I've seen people fix literal holes in uh, the sole of a shoe, and it's waterproof. So the boots I had were waterproof, but they and one of the things that tipped me off, and I needed to inspect them, and then I started feeling a little bit of leakage. Uh, you want to get this stuff, and there's other things you can do with it. I put a video out with the review today, but shoe goo, G-O-O, shoe goo. Uh, it is something that belongs in your prepper kit. Uh, check out the write-up today. You can find it at tspaz.com or thesurvivalpodcast.com. Remember, if you get on the Daily Mail, you'll get all my stuff. You'll never get spammed. I'll never share your information. Just go to thesurvivalpodcast.com. Click on Daily Mail, put your name and your email in there, and you'll start. And if you decide, I don't want this anymore, there's a link at the bottom. Click unsubscribe, and you'll automatically be unsubscribed. With that, I'm going to wrap up for the day. Tomorrow will be a Just Jack show. I haven't decided what the topic will be yet, but I promise you it'll be something informative, educational, that will focus on the practical things that we can do to be more prepared and more resilient with our lifestyle design in the modern age. With that, has been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't. Are they going to bail you out or just run you around? You should have a house the American way. A dollar down, a dollar a month, and you never have to pay. There's a better way to do this. Let me show you a better way.